Welcome to Guys We Fucked. <laughs> guys We Fucked. Guys We Fucked. I'm Christina. I'm Corinne. We're sorry, sorry about, about last, last night. night. The anti slut shaming podcast. <laughs> I never stop. <laughs> hey, what up, fuckers? Welcome to another episode of Guys We Fucked. Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> it's goofy. It's the anti slut shaming podcast. I'm Corinne. I'm Christina. Hello. Hey. Hey. Oh, my God. How are you? I'm great. It's good. Are you having sex? Uh, yes. What's that like? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's it's good, as always. Good for you. I'm happy for you. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess it's better now, but yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. I like relationship sex. Yeah, it's, it's oh, it's much better. Um, you guys, we're fucking performing places. Oh, my God. Yeah, so on uh, Friday, uh, April, I was like, what does this say? On Friday, uh, April 22nd, uh, Nacho Bitches is at New York Comedy Club at 11.15 p.m. with Blair Saki. Use code Nacho for $10 tickets. And then Glamour Plus is doing New York City on Saturday the 23rd, and we're doing Miami on Saturday, April 30th. But you guys, there's actually only a few tickets left to uh, our fucking tour test date. Yes. Which is going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be Monday, April 25th. It's Guys We Fucked the Tour. And we're it's not just some like, we're going to record the podcast. It's not going to be that bullshit. There will Even, be no podcast recording, no. in fact. This is actually a special experience that only whoever shows up to each night gets to have. And we want to make it very unique. And we want to be like the audience gets to be on Guys We Fucked. Right. And also of. part of it is that you guys are going to give us feedback. This is the show that we're ultimately going to take on the road. So the New York audiences will affect the rest of the shows. Like you're making this show happen with us. You're deciding what you think people would want to see from us. We're going to be... We're going to be our best selves. Oh, dude. Which could best. be our worst selves. I'm not really sure. I didn't you really decide. figure that out yet. You but, tell us. I mean, um, wait, I don't know. And I'm really excited. I actually visited this. saw another show at this venue over the weekend. It's gorgeous. It's called Subculture on Bleecker Street. Uh, tickets are $15. The show on the April 25th. Doors open at 7. The show starts at 8 p.m. Uh, and anyone can come any age. The only thing is if you're under 16, you got to bring mom or dad or big sister or, or Uncle brother. Larry. Yeah. Just, yeah. Uncle Phil. Just hope he doesn't creep on you. <laughs> Uncles get bad raps, man. Yeah. But it's going to be really fun. It's and there's going to be a fucking blast. There's not a lot of tickets left, so get it. And then uh, I think we might be doing some other dates uh, at that venue uh, in New York City. We'll see. But we got to sell these out. So, uh, yeah. Come show up and hang out with us, please. Thank you. Oh, I haven't had sex in so long. Yeah. Well, but yeah, but you're you got punished because yeah. you I said I was like, the one thing you can't do is have sex with the yeast infection. And then I saw you like a week later and I was like, how are you doing? And you're like, I still got this yeast infection. And then I was like, Christina Hutchinson. What? Did you have sex? No, maybe. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> you know, but the itch went away. So right. I was like, that means it went away. Did the yeast go away, though? It's not. I don't see any yeast. You know, like, it's like, this is disgusting, but scrape your, like, <laughs> scrape your fingernail, like, on the inside of your lip. Right now? No, not, no, <laughs> not now. Dear God, please not kidding. now. Even if you said yes right now, I wouldn't have done it. Um, shout out to James. Uh, <laughs> no, my, uh, 
it's just a weird discharge, you know, like mm-hmm. it's different. It's mm-hmm. different. Mm-hmm. But then there's also like when we, when we had sex, I was like, oh, it's gone. It's, right. it's gone away. Hooray. And then uh, we had sex and I was like, oh, it ain't gone. And it almost like hurt. It was almost like a scab in my vagina. Oh, You're just making this worse. Yeah. Exacerbating this. Yeah. Well, I sure am. <laughs> it's great. And it's no, it's nice because the yeast infection is hurting you. And we've definitely lost a good amount of listeners from opening <laughs> two weeks in a row. I promise this is the last. Yeast. You know what? No, because you need to know what we go through as women. Sorry to our lunch crowd. <laughs> no, it's it's fine. We've been um we've been mutually masturbating. Yeah. And rediscovering the joys of doing so. That's why I, I was just like, I was just like, I think fingering is very underrated. Yeah. And I, sometimes I feel like, well, one, I'm nervous for him to finger me now because I don't want it to push it up again. Yeah. But no, who, you, oh, you get fingered like that? But really? Well, how you get fully fingered? inside? I don't need that. Just clit. Yo, you get fingered like that? Oh, because I. Well, that to me is like play with my clit. I don't call that finger. Oh. I, I think of fingering as putting hands. I up. actually hate or fingers. fingers inside my vagina. Number one, men's fingers are very dirty. So dirty. Uh, I don't want that inside me. And then number two, I just feel like when there's a finger inside me, I just feel like I'm in middle school. It yeah, like a jackrabbit with the fingering. Or in high school. Sorry, I don't make my mom a heart attack. I wasn't being fingered in middle school. Good for you. Definitely was being fingered. I wasn't in even high getting school, kissed though. in middle school. <laughs> barely had some boob someone touched my boob once in middle school that's about as far as i went <laughs> um yeah yeah it's uh, yeah i mean uh, but i'm ner- i'm even nervous for that so i'm like let's just i put a condom on the hitachi oh, magic yeah. wand yeah just in case i don't fucking know i just put a condom on it just to be safe because i want to use it forever until i die mm-hmm. so i want to be buried with it um but you think you're, you think the hitachi is gonna outlive you yeah Oh, God. is there a that, lifetime guarantee on it? Yes, and it plugs into the wall. <laughs> I mean, and you know, walls—they're going to be around to the end of walls time. Walls are going to be here forever. There's always <laughs> going to be four walls around you. But wait, there really is a lifetime guarantee. I'm pretty sure that one has a lifetime guarantee. Oh my God! Yeah, I mean, it's supposed to be a massager for your back. <laughs> That's hilarious, um, right? But but yeah, so I've been using that, and then he's been masturbating, and I love seeing a guy. Like we said all the time, like I love seeing a guy grab his. Dick. Oh, I love watching guys masturbate. Yeah. Oh, watching guys and th- the joy of watching Stephen masturbate has been great. I. I think when I tell guys you do it, they think just think I'm lazy, but I just really like no, and to be I a like voyeur. watching. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and I like watching them. Like I, I want to know what kind of touch they like the best, and obviously it's their own is going to be I was, what yeah, they like. Their own, yeah. <laughs> so they, <laughs> which prefer. is why you fucking do it, asshole. <laughs> we should make business cards like you do it, you fucking do it, you fucking do it. So yeah, that's been really fun, but. You know, when you can't have sex, you want to have it more. Yeah. Well, it's, it's like being, it's like being on a diet. The one thing you can't have is the one thing that you want. The yeah. Most. And then someone was like, put tea tree oil, like dilute it and put it. And then I did it with a Q-tip and that got rid of the itch. Mm-hmm. Then I was like, and this is classic Christina go overboard with everything mm. put it on toilet paper and wipe yourself with oh, it. oh oh god no 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 that don't work yeah i went home crying we we're gonna go to donut plant we we're gonna walk to donut plant because i'd been cooped up inside all day and i was like let me just wipe my vagina real quick with this tea tree oil <sighs> oh boy. and then i got to the movie theater and i was like i gotta go yeah and then i cried because you know i don't like when my vagina holds me back yeah it did it helped but that back. was also christina holding me back right Right. Too I mean, much. especially with medical things, you really got to be careful. Like, because I'm like, because, you know, if it's like if a higher dosage worked, then wouldn't you think that they would be prescribing the higher dosage? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's probably how that would work. It's like when I try to cook. Th- I'm like, it's like when they give you 
oven directions and I'm like, well, if it cooks it, you know, for in 10 minutes at 400 at 800, I'll cook in five <laughs> minutes. Like, no, that's Classic. not how that works. Yeah. Yeah. It, it will just burn. Time. It needs time. <laughs> not going to help at all. Life is hard. But you know what? Who did help us? So many. So many people. These are brawlers, people who donated $88 or more to our GoFundMe thing that we did. Uh, Patrick <laughs> Kabir, you sound awesome. Thank you. Gretchen Gilbert, I hope your middle name starts with a G so that your initials are GGG. Haley Foster, my mom likes that name a lot, probably better than mine. E.S. Hilton, why you gotta be so fucking mysterious? <laughs> Melaine G. Dickinson, any relation? <laughs> <laughs> Lindsay Scanlan. Hello. <laughs> Jody N. Gully. All right. No, everyone's not an author. We got to get the middle initial out. Thanks. Peter Casper. Boo. <laughs> Christina Brichetti. This is, it's always bad when I mess up Italian names because I am Italian, but I'm also Jewish. So the Jewish part messed it up. Sorry. Thank you. David Weishar. Eins Feinstrei. Danke Shane. <laughs> You know David Weishar is a Jew and was offended oh, by that. Oh shit. That's I thought that was German. Yeah, but a lot of a lot of Jews are German. That's fucked up. That's why we couldn't leave. <laughs> Yo, word? word? A word. lot of Jews are German? I'm German. My Jew my Jewishness, my Judaism comes from uh Russia though. Oh, that's a lot. <laughs> Blowing in everyone's minds today. Um, emails. We've been getting a lot of good emails. Yeah. We've been getting a lot of emails from all types of people, but one of the trends I've noticed lately, like dads in their 50s that have teenage daughters, I'm so honored. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. I, that's well, my favorite. A dad came out to a show. That's um, so fucking awesome. And I was so, like, it wasn't creepy at all. I was so happy about it. Yeah. We had I'm a great like, conversation. I'm honored that you listened to yeah, what I was shit like, comes out of my away, mouth. Big titted bitches. I was like, I got to talk to this dad. <laughs> Step away, hotties. Yeah, hotties, get away from me. I got to talk to this dad right now. <laughs> That's, uh, no, they're the best. Yeah. Thank yeah. you, dads who listen. I love you. Oh, gosh. I wish I could tell my own dad things that I tell you, but that'll never happen. What <laughs> uh, also, I, I've also noticed that there's a lot of like salacious uh, subject lines, but then they're just like, JK, that's not what I was talking yeah. about. Made you look. Um, I don't appreciate that. So yeah, don't don't blue ball our curiosity. Yeah, the point is not to lie. It's it's the, the point is to sell the true story in the subject line succinctly, though. Yeah. OK, it's a headline, that? not a fucking lie. You work for The New York Times not people magazine don't bait and swish i'll kill you okay thanks. she will she's a german jew <laughs> i'll kill you Russia. through my email uh this subject line yeah, i like it because it's factual are comedians really are <laughs> <laughs> comedians ever uh really too busy to date Hi, Corinne and Christina. First off, I want to say that I love listening to the podcast and I've really enjoyed hearing some of my favorite comedians talk oh. about one of my favorite subjects. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, so I think I know the answer to my own question already based on some of the things I have heard in the podcast. But in my denial stage of a breakup, I am looking for something or anything that it can explain my situation. A couple of months ago, I started dating a full-time stand-up comedian. There's your first mistake. Uh, I, I met <laughs> red flag, red flag. I met at a random show I popped into with some friends in D.C. where we both live. We invited a few of them out for drinks after the show, and I really hit it off with one guy, so much so that we spent the entire night from midnight to 11 a.m., uh, that's a long time, talking and admittedly having sex. In the morning, he asked if this could be something more than a one-night stand. Of course he did, because comedians are needy. Uh, and I was initially unsure 
sure, but agreed. In the months that followed, we became serious somewhat quickly, always having time to hang out during the day. I am a grad student and spending that usual extra amount of time together that you do at the beginning of a relationship. Uh, I would go to some of his shows, banter with his comedian friends. I'm sure they love that uh, and be generally supportive as I knew this had been a deal breaker for him dating in the past. Eventually, the time spent together uh, evened out and we adopted a comfortable routine of hanging out periodically between my class and his shows with sleepovers on his nights off. We started making lots of plans for the future until the last couple of weeks. Once he booked a date for taping his uh, show slash album, he kind of stopped texting as frequently and was always on edge when we would hang out. Eventually this weekend, he told me that he didn't have time for me in his life anymore because he would no longer have many nights off between now and the recording. And he used the worst phrase in the English language. I think we should just be friends. Apparently his therapist had told him this would be the best thing he could do for his mental health during this busy time. I said, no, thanks. What is best for him seems like the worst thing for me. Now I am trying to move beyond the why of the situation but I find it hard often I find the excuse of being busy to be very condescending I am in my last semester of grad school I'm extremely busy as well but I am also a firm believer of a work-life balance and I'm always willing to make time for the people and things I care about just as much as my career goals I understand that sometimes are busier than others but doesn't it help uh, to have a supportive figure outside of the stress of the comedy world? And what does that mean for when things slow down? Do you ever get so busy that you have no sexual desire anymore or desire to be in a relationship? I feel like he lifted a huge weight from his shoulders by dumping it on mine. Worst of all, now everyone has to hear the thankfully non-offensive joke he wrote about our relationship every time he performs. Timing is a bitch. Love anonymous. Okay. All right. Well, I like this email because I feel like, you know, we are comedians, but we don't talk about like the comedic, you know, lifestyle a lot. Mostly because I didn't think anyone really wants to know about it. Yeah. Uh, but since you asked, very specific. it is my favorite thing to talk about. Um so I don't know. I think uh, we we don't, we have different perspectives on this because yeah, comedy comes first a lot of the times. And yeah. I think when I first met Steven, I was ditching shows and and mm-hmm. opportunities to hang out. And the second we moved in, I was like, I rarely ever saw him at night because I was like, good, now's my chance to go fly. Right. So I don't know. That's just end up. What, I mean, you gotta make time for yourself. Like I completely understand him doing that to to make the album good. I, yeah. I completely understand that. Yeah, because you don't you only have so much room in your brain for people and it would probably stress me out if I really cared about this album. And I also cared about the relationship, but the relationships preventing me from focusing on the album. I would end the relationship if or, right. or just be like, hey, can we just not talk for a month or something? I just need my space. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's a couple things for me here. Uh, number one, I think, God, I hate to call you a civilian, but like a non-comic. Non-comic. <laughs> so I think it's it's very hard for non-comics to understand. But like I have worked a, a lot of different, you know, I love overworking myself. It's like my favorite thing in the whole <laughs> entire world because uh, I feel like I'm not overworking myself. Oh, I'm failing at life. So <laughs> and I, before this, I used to work in talent management. That's another huge hugely time-consuming, exhausting yeah. career. So that it was my career 100% of you, both careers. Absolutely. But even during that career, 
I still had time to go out and get drunk a lot and still have fun. I can honestly say uh, doing comedy, I rarely have fun that is not related to comedy. Like that's not saying my life isn't fun. My life is so fun and it's amazing. But do I have fun outside of comedy? Rarely. I have lost a lot of friends to comedy, important friends, not shitty friends. Like I've lost important friends. Um, And I think it's hard for non-comics to understand how time consuming comedy is. It, it, it's, it's so the reason it's so time consuming is because there's not a time when it can ever truly be done. You can always be working on it. You can always be doing something or to be somewhere or writing something or working on something. That's like the best thing about comedy and also the worst thing about comedy because you have control over how much you do. But a lot of us have super obsessive personalities. And if we're not going to do the work, guess what? Somebody else is going to do the work and they're going to yep. get ahead of you. It's it's the, it's the one of the most competitive fields I've ever come across. I mean, things that I think are similar, maybe like music, fashion, very few things. This is like fucking, it's hardcore shit. And, um, you seem like the type of person, and this is not a bad thing. I actually feel the same way. You seem like the type of person who has to be in a relationship where they are the most important thing in the relationship. And that's okay. And that's totally fine. Don't it's date a comic. Totally normal. But yeah, absolutely. You cannot date a comic. That's actually why I only will date comics because it's almost like being in like a, a what's like a, a polyamorous Oh, relationship. polyamorous. Yeah. Like you're not the only one and you're yeah. not the number one. It's a, well, it's polyamorous in that we're all dating each other, but the, oh, the third party instead of being another person comedy. is comedy so for me that's fine because and that's a marriage that ain't dating i love comedy i've nothing has made me happier like i've never uh, i've never had sex that i liked more or has brought me more pleasure than like comedy i've never eaten anything that's made me happier than comedy like it's just not happy it's i've never met a person who's made me like it's made me happier and fulfilled me more than anything and i think anyone who's seriously pursuing it which someone who's doing an album seems like they definitely are it's just not going to compare so I think I certainly like have had people that I liked as much maybe as comedy yeah. like I would say um but yeah and that's what I'm and I, and I am looking for someone who like I am as important to them as comedy is to them like we're all yeah. on the same track but right. more than comedy I don't know yeah it's not gonna happen yeah yeah that's so, true so that might not yeah that doesn't sound like a, the perfect match for both of your priorities because right. if you want to be treated like that you absolutely should it's just a, the wrong person yeah and and so succinctly are comedians really ever too busy to date yes, yes. sorry <laughs> uh here's a doozy subject line should i break up with my girlfriend that has cancer oh that's <laughs> i don't know uh hi ladies my name is blank uh i've been struggling with deciding if i should stay with my terminal girlfriend <laughs> is that what that calls yeah terminal girlfriend yeah she's definitely oh, gonna she, die because she is terminal yeah so you can just oh god it got it got it okay Blake uh, shit uh it's been about a year with this girl and we found out that she had cancer about three months in and the feelings between us have just disappeared and i don't know if i want to stay with her please help thanks mm-hmm. okay what do you think <laughs> i mean I, I, if you don't like the person it doesn't matter about their circumstances i think that it sounds like this person did not give us the guy didn't give us a lot of info yeah but it sounds like feelings are fading on both ends yeah i mean the thing is like it can't okay so the can't cancer and a relationship if you're in a relationship with someone who has cancer, obviously cancer has to do with relationship, but like you f- feelings and sexuality and like th- that's not, that's not has nothing to do with cancer. They're two separate things. You shouldn't, yeah. st- you shouldn't don't stay with somebody because,
because they're should, terminally ill. Yeah, that's not fair to them. Wouldn't you want to? But maybe spend... you should be friends with her still, so she has a buddy. <laughs> well, it depends how she. It depends how she feels. I think it's really her choice in this matter. Not. I mean, if, if he doesn't want to be in the relationship anymore, that should definitely be end because it's not. I don't think you're any doing anyone a favor by having like spending the last few moments or months or whatever of their life with someone who doesn't feel for them yeah in that way but then is she ever gonna find out though that he was there the whole time and didn't want to be she's not gonna find that out right that, that was the thing that was the other devil's advocate in yeah, my but mind it seems like if feelings are fading i'm assuming she probably is not like head over heels in love with him anyway i would hope not because if she's if head over heels in love with you and it's completely one-ended that you don't like her eh, you might want to ride this one out buddy yeah this yeah. might be your how, mitzvah how many times how many months <laughs> she got right um i mean i know my I know a person, close person, who is currently dying of cancer. Right. She has her husband, though. Right. Um, and they are madly in love, and they were always madly in love, and she's very young, and she's going to die pretty much any day now. Right. Um, and I know that his love and their love and their relationship is something that's making those last couple months of her life amazing. Yeah, of course. But that doesn't sound like this is the case, and maybe I'm sure she has family that she's close with, that she's spending time with. Like, maybe her last months or weeks or however many mm-hmm. times she has is better spent with the people her loved ones yeah. like her actual 100 percent. or also if she wants to end it romantically i was just like maybe she'll just pull a walk to remember <gasps> you can't fall in and love like with me. go on <laughs> tinder or something yeah i mean like yeah it's just like oh god give her like this is this is this is, these are her last moments and she should be able to spend them like wild and free and amazing not locked into something that's not working and like yeah, yeah i mean like yeah. you gotta end it yeah yeah. How do you end it though? Uh I mean you didn't ask this, but I'm this is I'm just curious about it. Like, hey, let's say her name's Sally. I don't know what her name <laughs> is. Sally. Um, so I haven't been feeling this for a while and I feel like you probably haven't been too, right? <laughs> and then Sally's like <coughs> and then she you're like, ah oh, fuck. <laughs> well, never mind. I just want to know what if you want a pizza for dinner or I don't know. I could right. I would I would have the hardest time. Cause I, I, I mean I feel bad about everything all the time. Let alone breaking up with someone with can't like I understand, but I still think that it's the that it's like that little moment of pain. Like this is not like this has they haven't been together for that long. I mean, yeah, like, I don't think it's gonna be that tragic. But also, like I think it's the, the kindest and most respectful thing to do to her time. I was gonna say it's better for her. In yeah, the long you run have too. your whole life to fucking go around breaking hearts, busting nuts. Like she, she doesn't. doesn't. <laughs> I don't even know what to say about that. I, look. I don't know either. Death makes me so uncomfortable and it makes me giggle because it makes me, it's so bleak and final. The and, saddest things are the best things morbid. to joke about because yeah. it's the things that you need to release from the most. Yeah, Steven retweeted like this meme and he was like, he was like, Sunday fun day. And it just said, we're all going to die. <laughs> like, that's hilarious. We are. Um, so yeah, you should end it. And, uh, but be friends with her and bring her soup and stuff. Yeah, be a fucking human being. Be a fucking nice person. You're probably wonderful. Um, guys, before we get to our guest... This episode of Guys We Fucked is sponsored by Me Undies. Let me tell you something. Corinne and I got shipped a pair of Me Undies because we want to try everything before Some we Some of us, a it. few. I only ordered one, and Corinne was like, You only got one? I'm like, Yeah, how many did you, you get? She's like, Seven or whatever the fuck you said. I'm like, Fuck, <laughs> seven. I, I swear to God, I am not exaggerating. And they have underwear for men and for women because I know we market a lot of shit just for chicks, and we have a lot of men who listen to the podcast. 
podcast, the most comfortable underwear I have ever worn in my life. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Seriously comfortable. Yeah. It's made out of this fabric called modal and it's uh, sustainably sourced. It's twice as soft as cotton. It really is. It makes my ass look great. It's like a silky cotton. It feels so fucking amazing. It feels amazing. Mm -hmm. And uh, And the patterns are really cute too. I I got this one that was like skeletons with like dressed up as like Elvis and like guitar players. It was so cool. Um, Yeah. They put here in the ad copy, like nothing can describe the fit of and feel of me undies. But once you try them, you'll understand why they're called the world's most comfortable underwear. You really will. Yeah. They're not fucking around. I get, I used to get all my underwear from Victoria's Secret because that's all I knew or Mm -hmm. like Uniqlo or some bullshit store Mm -hmm. and they fucking suck and they rip in like two weeks. Mm Mm-hmm. This is the most comfortable underwear I've ever put on in, on my vagina and butt in the world. Yeah. So in my whole life. So uh, yeah. So shipping is free if you live in the U.S. or Canada. And you can save up to $8 a pair with the MeUndies subscription plan. Because you know how we like, you know, ruin our underwear a lot. Yeah, by I just thought that was fun. No, it's a great idea because I have to buy underwear all the time. And then sometimes I do laundry. But I don't, I wait like months to do it. So I'm like, I'm just going to buy underwear. It's like you just always know it's coming. It's exciting. It's amazing. So get the subscription on a single pair or get 20% off your first order when you go to meundies.com slash GWF. That's meundies.com slash GWF for 20% off your first order. This shit's really fucking comfy and it's sexy because when I turned when I tried them on, Steven got a big old boner. Wow. Jesus. Yep. All right. Well, speaking of boners <laughs> and new underwear, uh, th- today's th- today's I'm guest so made me how to change my underwear. Like I <laughs> I am like You're I am in love with him. I've been obsessed with this guest you have since, great we, taste. since we met a couple weeks ago <laughs> and I've told my mom about him. I, I was telling Christina, my mom knows more about this week's guest than she does my actual. <laughs> boyfriend uh i described him to a t i will be purchasing one of his books for my grandmother yeah he just wrote a book called so you've been publicly shamed we're like this guy knows some stuff he's amazing he's british he's one of the most well-spoken adorable intellectual creatures i've ever I just want to snuggle oh, his face uh, i love him he's so funny and I, cute and i know some of you guys saw me flirting on twitter so i probably ruined the surprise of this week's guest <laughs> and i apologize for that but no i don't no don't say you're sorry girl <laughs> ladies and gentlemen mr john ronson intellectual elite yeah and can i just tell you in the lobby i asked him he was like he was joking saying i'm gonna get a tattoo while i'm waiting and i was like do you have any he goes yeah i got one and i was like what is it he goes some shit flower (laughs) i got when i was stoned when i was 18 and i'm like oh 
you're like one of us, kind of a little, but much smarter. Gets into <laughs> so much smarter. <laughs> so um, we want to talk to you about your latest book. Okay. So you've been publicly shamed because shame is something that obviously this podcast is is based on sexual shame, but also just I think shame can fall under an umbrella of like a one big umbrella, sexual shame and stuff. What what got you so interested in shame? Well, I I think it was the fact that I okay I think well I, I think I've kind of worked out a few things all at once. Firstly, that there was a big disconnect between how powerful we thought shaming was, which was not that powerful. We kind of figured we could just shame somebody and then just carry on with our day and everything would be everything would stay contained and everything would be fine. And how powerful shaming actually is, which is kind of hugely profoundly. Uh, psychologically traumatizing for people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I realized that. I guess I realized that we were acting like we were acting on social media like the kind of despotic regimes and extremists that I would usually write about. Mm-hmm. We were inside a bubble where we were behaving in this cruel way and abusing our power. Mm-hmm. And I'll say one other thing too. Uh, so I used to, I wrote this book called The Psychopath Test, and I used to go around the world talking about um, over-labelling, like how terrible it was that children as young as four years old would be labelled as bipolar and given antipsychotic medication because they had temper tantrums and kids were like dying uh, because they were being labelled as bipolar. The parents were like, I don't know what to do with you. Here's a pill. Yeah, well, no, the parents basically, the parents would like go to some specialist and the specialist would be like the childhood bipolar specialist. So it would like <laughs> diagnose everyone as having childhood bipolar <laughs> disorder. And, uh, and, and so and so I'd, I'd tell these stories and everybody would agree that, that was bad. We'd all agree it was bad. Right. And then we'd all go home and do exactly the same thing on social media. We'd like label somebody because of some tweet that came out badly mm-hmm. and reduce them to this kind of label. Oh, that person tweeted that because they must be a sociopath. Or that person tweeted that because they were like, you know, they're sort of privileged. Or, or And then we'd get them. We'd make them carry the weight of that systemic failing on their shoulders. And we'd get them and we'd tear them apart. And then we'd think, then we'd carry on with our day. And we'd think, well, I'm sure they're fine. And yeah. they weren't fine. Meanwhile, I mean, like, they're crying hey. in the corner. Yeah, and some of them were killing themselves. Yeah. And, and all of them basically were contemplating suicide, all the ones I met. Right. It's a huge problem, so, uh, social media shaming and suicide. I mean, just time and time again, it's happening with very young people. Very young people. And uh, yeah, from from kids being cyberbullied through mm-hmm. to, you know, Adults being being shamed on Facebook. A guy in Israel called Ariel Runis committed suicide because he was falsely accused of racism on Facebook. And he wrote oh, a God. note saying, honestly, I'm not racist. I've spent my life fighting racism. And then he shot himself in the head. Oh. He, Jesus. He said every Facebook share was like a nail through my heart what what Jesus. what was everyone pinpointing did he do did he say something and everyone took it out of context what he probably said the word black we get we get called like we'll get called sexist or racist or anti-women all the time and then when people write us an angry email sometimes i'll reply to some of them when i have time to uh-huh. explain myself and they'll almost redact their opinion and be like oh my god you wrote back i'm sorry that was such bullshit i'm like yeah, bitch time, why'd right? you tell me i was just racist and then you're taking it back yeah i know i know because i wrote back to you i humanized myself to you exactly you, you know for shaming to work there needs to be objectification i think there's three things there needs to be objectification 
there needs to be a kind of form of identity theft, which I guess in a way is similar to objectification, that you kind of turn this kind of dimensional human being into this one thing, Mm -hmm. like that person. So, you know, Justin Sacker was the AIDS tweet woman. Monica Lewinsky is America's premier blowjob queen. You know, everything else about that person (laughs) ceases to exist. It's just become that one tiny slither. Um, And then there's a casting out. And so if you then do the opposite of that, you you de-objectify yourself, you rehumanize yourself to that person... They're like, oh yeah, wow, oh yeah. Oh, never mind. You're a person with feelings. Yeah, exactly. It's so weird. With with the with the Israeli guy Ariel Runas, it was. Um, I mean, this is a this is an even worse story when I tell the story. So it, it was a it was in Israel. He was a civil servant at like passport center, some kind of immigration bureaucracy center. There was a woman, a black woman with a baby, trying to get her passport renewed. And she said that she was um, denied access to the first lane. White people were being given access to the first lane. So she complained to the woman who was like in charge of the lanes. Yeah. And, and the woman said, ah, don't talk to me. Um, and so then she went to the man, Ariel Runis, who was like in charge of the office. And he said um, something like, you know, not everything's about race or something along those lines. Okay. So then she wrote a Facebook post um, saying what happened um, that went viral. He killed himself. Oh, my God. And then the next day, she wrote this heartbreaking um, other Facebook post. The which, woman with the baby. The who, woman with yeah. the baby who said, she said, basically, I um, have been quiet all my life. I've never spoken up again about racism my entire life. The first time I do it, a man kills oh my himself. God. Uh, I, you know, if I could go back to being silent, I would have. And then what happens to her Everyone starts shaming her, like, look oh, at this woman. Who, let's get her. Mm-hmm. Because she does, I'm sure she has in her life a lot of times experienced racism. And so, yeah, yeah I completely get that notion of being like, you know what? I'm not taking this anymore. Totally. And yeah. like, oh maybe God. that one time it really wasn't racism, but it's just, yeah. you know, the weight of all these other times building up. And then, you know, one yeah. day you just explode. Maybe this guy was thoughtless, you know? I mean, you know, all sorts of things could have happened. But yeah, we've all been busy at our jobs and kind of brushed somebody off. Mm-hmm. And it's not, we didn't, oh, I think she was probably probably overthinking it more than he does. He was just busy at his job and was like annoid, like yeah. with a customer. We've which all done of, that. Yeah, which of course speaks to like systemic racism. And, you know, he mm-hmm. is not going to be aware of how she lives her life, which yeah. is, you yeah. know, constantly, mm-hmm. constant racism. Yeah. Um, yeah. When you bring the world into it, when you bring like the public into it, and we all like that, that's when sort of all hell breaks loose. And I know it's like a good feeling to sort of put everything out like Amanda Palmer, like on the world stage. Yeah. But all hell breaks loose so often. It's like people aren't capable of seeing gray areas in other people. You're either really great. It's like everyone speaks in hyperbole. Like like everyone's throwing out, I mean, I'm guilty of it too, but like amazing and the best and the most, I'm, you know, it's just people very, very extreme. And you can't, you're either a great person or you're a piece of shit. (laughs) And it's weird because I feel like, especially with sexual shaming, but I was thinking about it a lot, like the people in the media today, in America at least, who are shamed, they're mostly women. Mm. Do you, is there, you think there's a reason why women are um, bigger targets for that? Even other women shame other women. I just feel like, sure. yeah, they're more vulnerable. I don't know what it is. Well, I mean, it's definitely true. Um, like there's, it's no coincidence that, yes. that this book. <laughs> I knew I wasn't crazy. Thank you. Definitely, it's statistically true that that women are shamed. I'm gonna relish in this. This is great. Right. <laughs> women are shamed more often um, 
And um, the, the the range of insults is way worse when it's a woman. Yeah. With a man, it's, I'm going to get you fired. With a woman, it's, I'm going to rape you and I'm going to get you fired. Well, it's always rape or you're a whore. <laughs> yeah. And it's like... Um, we we have this uh, theory that like when you call somebody a slut in a negative context, like in a nasty context, you're either it seems like you're either you label that woman someone who would never sleep with you and that upsets you, or if you're another woman, especially like you are upset over somebody just being free with their sexuality or jealous mm-hmm. of her aesthetics, yeah. Yeah. yeah, or like she's really hot. But when I see a beautiful woman, woman, I'm like, yeah, girl, like I love mm-hmm. beautiful women. Well, this is so interesting. This is you know why I wanted to come on your podcast because I'm 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 really interested in <laughs> and talk also- about fucking. <laughs> 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 I'm not so good at that. I've, I've been, I've been to like porn shoots and stuff. Really? Um, I thought you were yeah. going to say that I've had sex before. I'd be like, I, yes, John Rossi, you've had sex. <laughs> Wait, um, you've been to a porn shoot? Yeah, but what I was going to say, let me just say that. Okay, I say, we'll get back um, to that. So I, uh, what I was going to say is that I'm, I'm really interested in and also, you know, admiring of the anti-slut shaming movement because I, I think that. Um, well, sex workers, for instance, uh, I'm always really interested in marginalised communities where where there's 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 not that much pushback, you know, where it's like fashion, like the fashionable marginalisation of people. Mm-hmm. And so, in my in my public shaming book, that happened to like Justine Sacco, the um, the woman who tweeted going to Africa. Hope I don't get AIDS. Mm-hmm. Just kidding, I'm white. That was a shaming that like everybody could get behind misogynists social justice people hipsters like everybody could get behind that show and the same, they felt that they were standing up for um uh, uh, racism yeah uh, and exactly an attacking you know privilege. systemic privilege yeah. mm, mm-hmm. um when in fact it was a joke mocking her own uh, privilege um and I, and I feel the same thing is true to maybe a slightly less extent but still basically true about for instance sex workers that's a marginalized community without that much like support, you know? Yeah. yeah. Like, like you know, there's many stories about porn stars who leave the business and the stigma follows them around forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so for that reason, I, I, you know, so that's why I'm kind of especially interested in kind of uh, sexual shaming because I think, uh, and you know, I, I was thinking about this the other day, like me and Monica Lewinsky were both, we sometimes have breakfast together. Shut would, up. No, I'm serious. Are you serious? I'm serious. You I love that so just like, yeah, that's every yeah, day. Breakfast with Monica right. Lewinsky, whatever. We, oh. Unlimited mimosas. Fuck right. you. Molo. Um, that's amazing. Right. And one thing that, that we have in common, me and Monica, is that we were both uh, bullied at school. And I can't remember which one of us said it, but I think the fact is if you were bullied at school, you know what it's like to be like an unfashionable bullying victim like no one's on your side when you're being bullied at school and that's why both me and Monica feel the same way about this stuff it's like what I hate is like bully those people that's fine like but but don't bully you know but no what I hate is like kind of don't like um uh okay um I went all stumbly for a second like it's okay to attack the abuse of power when it's happening over there yep but don't attack us for bullying Justine Sacker because that's a righteous shame. And, you know, that's, yeah. that, that really annoys me. And I think it's because I was bullied at school. I think the two things are I understand. It's like, how do you combat that? <clears throat> People mm. going like, let's bring down the straight white man. Well, right. let's not, because maybe that's not going to solve a harmony and peace throughout. Like, yeah. we can't just shit on any one group. Also, th- you know, this straight white man had a fucking 
terrible time like at school. <laughs> and it's like, so Aww. not every straight white man has the same level of privilege. Right. I did this podcast not, not long ago. I mean, I, I don't, I won't say who it is because I don't want to be sort of mean, but you know, she looked. <laughs> oh, you she could looked, say it. No, nah, well, right. she was, and I talked about having an anxiety disorder and she was like, she honestly, this flick across her face of, Oh, what? So you're not, like, entirely privileged? Oh, whoa. Like, oh, so, okay. So having an anxiety disorder makes you a bit less privileged. Yeah, and, no, and we've gone crazy in the other direction, just, like, against white men. This is not, that's not where we're looking It's just not going to yeah. help anything. But that's, so that's why I wanted to kind of come on your podcast, because I think what, what you do is is really great, because you're standing up for, you know, I, I think there's probably people who listen to your podcast who come from sort of, you know, conservative areas religious religious areas. really being held down by it yeah. and some people like have been carrying secrets with them their whole entire lives and a lot of times we'll get emails saying i've never told a single soul this before but i was molested when i was a kid and hearing somebody else talk about it and, and a lot of times we'll have comedians come on and talk about like some something dark that they went through and it just helps people in the biggest way and it's cool because all it is is just conversation and being vulnerable mm. right yeah. i mean even i i this this particular like a uh, little section in your book uh it really struck a chord with me uh when you talk about the terror of being found out yeah. i thought yeah, that I really that. resonated with what we talk about on the podcast a lot because you know here you're talking about you know an author who is lying in in his books and misquoting and things like that uh but you you kind of go into masturbation at the end of this section <laughs> like how everyone used to be terrified that someone would find out that they were masturbating and now it's totally like we're all blase about it and it doesn't matter and it's all online mm. um but how your reputation is still everything that you have and so a lot of times i think people think that something they did sexually or something that they're into is going to be is going to be like that com that complete slither that defines you as with Monica Lewinsky mm. um, and yes we get so many letters of like this is something I've never told anyone and just you feel the terror in the emails from these people and then we'll read them and we'll be like I really feel like this is not like everyone's not going to turn on you yeah. like if we exactly. tell yeah. and in fact I was being a bit blasé when I was saying that like everyone's blasé about masturbation online because because actually you know sex still does carry a real stigma it's weird it's so weird that people mm. are so uptight about it and i do you think that's because it's one of the most vulnerable parts of someone's life or it could be because uh, obviously a sex worker for example is see or the ones that i've met and talked to mm. seem very comfortable in their sexuality will talk about anything with a total stranger and just they don't have any walls built up but i think naturally humans just have yeah. walls like even when i get a gyn exam i'm like don't no that's right. my uh, it just yeah uh, the stigma comes from actually um, I was talking about this with uh, Connor Habib, who's uh, who's a gay, my gay porn star friend, Connor Habib. Oh. Uh, <laughs> I had coffee with him not so long ago, and he said like every single bit of stigma about sex workers. I mean, he was. I, I'm not sure. I totally agree with Connor, but I agree with this sort of broader point. He said every single stigma, every problem that sex workers face comes not from the industry but from the outside yeah people mm -hmm. projecting yeah. their uncomfort there's exactly. discomfort with that which i don't get because the person who's going to be the loudest against sex workers is probably the guy buying all the prostitutes totally oh time and time again the people who watch porn the people um like um lisa ran told me i was with lisa ran the reason why i'm spending so much time with porn people there's a, there's a bit you of hang that out with cool people man. <laughs> i, I want to be your friend <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. You get brunch and coffee with the best. Yeah. I, well, I loved Lisa Ann. And um, <laughs> she, so I'm doing a project about sex work now, as it happens, which is why I'm awesome. spending so much time with sex workers. And there's also a bit of it in So You've Been Publicly Shamed. I go to an extreme uh, porn shoot towards the end of So You've Been Publicly Shamed. Oh, that's why um, I didn't, I was surprised I didn't get to that part Yeah, yet. with Princess Donna. Um, <laughs> Sweet. Yeah. So, uh, but Lisa Ann said, yeah, that she was in a, she was at a Mets game and she's on Twitter and, and the person in front of her is tweeting about her oh, God. saying that awkward moment when <laughs> you're, you realise you're sitting in front of her. Uh, a porn star and so Lisa I like tapped her on the shoulder and I went like what yeah you can <laughs> like, talk to me in my face yeah and she said what you want us to you want me to like stay in like a kind of home for retired porn stars <laughs> and never show my face <laughs> and, and, and she said and you're the one who recognized me right <laughs> they, exactly uh, obviously from porn yeah, yeah. <laughs> you've jerked it to me before I well, can tell well shame yeah. shame is a lot about also like deflecting it's like you're sh- ashamed of something inside you so you create this stir outside of yourself so everyone's like go over over there like you throw a grenade go over there everybody when really you're trying to hide something about yourself totally we are constantly I and mean, I, I really really you know saw this over and over again and say so you've been publicly shamed we are constantly doing to other people the thing that we're most afraid would yeah. happen to yeah. us yeah and mm-hmm. if we if we kept that in mind more I think we'd be just that we'd have more of a self-awareness and not to do it anymore but also sometimes like Martin Shkreli is that his name who bought the HIV oh, medication yeah, yeah, yeah. The-, the news plays into this media this this narrative of him being this joker monster and every picture that you see of him in the news is just him smiling like an evil clown mm. and you want to hate him and then when you speak out it just you feel good you feel I I probably feel the way that a lot of people felt when shaming Justine Sacco because they thought that I it, this is against racism and, mm. and well absolutely that yeah that's what that's what exactly what Facebook or Twitter is it's uh, it's the easiest way for an everyday person to become a hero without actually doing the work that it takes to be a real hero so you so, say I'm going to get on my soapbox Mm. now and I'm going to make this big statement and everyone's going to like it when you haven't done the research, you don't have the knowledge, you don't have, you don't know the person, you're just getting out and saying something. And then everyone else is like, yeah, here, here. It's for the fucking Salem witchcraft trials all over again. Totally. It's, it's, um, uh, somebody reviewing the book actually said that it was, um, she put it the way I wish I'd thought of it myself, actually, when I was writing the book. She said, this isn't, these aren't stories about social justice. This is about cathartic alternatives to social justice. Oh, I it's like, that. like Yeah, it's like exactly what you said. It's like, you know, these aren't people who are even going off and protesting, you know, outside Trump Tower. They're not even doing that. They're they they haven't even left their den. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> they're yeah. still in, been on that couch for a while. If you're still in sweatpants, you're probably not a hero. If there's like, a puddle under your butt, you need to fucking get up, man. Yeah. <laughs> if you're holding a mug in one hand that says Mondays, <laughs> arr, you're probably not a hero, okay? Right. And it's all to do with, like, I think the, the way that Twitter in particular, I think, is set up of, as this kind of... I mean, I make the effort on Twitter, not that I'm, I'm barely there anymore, but when I am there, I make the effort to follow people who I don't agree with. So Interesting. I'll, yeah, because one real problem, I think, of social media is the way we surround ourselves with people who feel exactly the same way we do. And we just, we, we Shit, approve each point. other and support each other. And it's, it's my friend Adam Curtis said, um, who's smartest man I know, um, who was warning me against social media like before anything <laughs> was going it. wrong. Yeah, he's like, this is kind of, like in about 2009, he was Did saying, he have a bad experience in 09? No, no, he just knew because he knows. Because he's fucking smart. Yeah, he's fucking smart. Wow. And, and he said, you know, this is not, you know, the tech utopians are saying that Twitter is a new form of democracy. But when you surround yourself with people who feel exactly the same way you do, and then if somebody gets in the way, you just scream them out of the room. Yeah. That's actually the opposite of democracy. Yeah. 
yeah. saying democracy is you hear other people's points of view. And it, well, it's interesting because I think you, I think the year was 1893 when public shaming was banned in all the states in this country. Uh-huh. And now it seems like uh, I was talking about it with my boyfriend because he was reading the book too. It's like this modern day lynching that's happening to people and it's happening before the legal system can do mm. its thing with cases like rape or cases, a- anything that, that something, yeah. it, it could be embarrassing to people that involves a law and uh, it's like we're deciding people's fate. Totally. Do you think that's going to stop? I mean, it's it's terrible. It's it's, it's so, because actually justice, is, you know, Justine Sacco was asleep on a plane when her life was destroyed. Yeah. Jonah Lehrer, who, you know, was more deserving of a shaving because he did do stupid workplace things like lying. And Very unethical box. for his profession, especially. Totally. But, yeah. but the, he has the opportunity to apologise um, and when I'm sort of spending time with him. And the apology, like, it's, it's being live streamed and it's a giant screen Twitter feed right yeah, next to his nuts. head. Yeah, so imagine if that was an actual court. So we're, in both of those situations, Justine and Jonah, imagine if that was an actual court. Like, so in Justine's case, in the, in the court, the person's not even in the room. They don't even know they're on trial by the time they're found guilty. Right. And with Jonah, like imagine you're standing in the dock, like trying to explain yourself and apologise. And the jury, you know, the tweets that were that were coming in um, to oh. this live Twitter feed while Jonah was trying to apologise. And he was reading these tweets as he was trying oh. to apologise. Mm-hmm. Were Jonah Lehrer boring us into forgiving him? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying these things aren't funny. I mean, people are funny on social media, but still. Um, yeah, Jonah, sometimes it's so mean that you're like, ah, come on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, Jonah Lehrer is just a frigging sociopath. Jonah Lehrer has not proven he is capable of feeling shame. So imagine if those things were being yelled out by the jury while yeah. the accused is in the dock. You know, when, when we watch Making a Murderer, who do we identify with? Dean Strang. When we're given the power, who do we act like? Ken fucking yeah. grass. You know, it's like we, we become, ha- you know, give us the power, we become hanging judges. We, yeah. It's like we need to come to a place where that's no longer rewarded. Like we need to shame shaming and yeah. then it'll disappear. Although that which... doesn't work. Well, you can shame shaming, but I don't think you should shame shamers because that just doesn't work. Right. Well, yeah, that's an eye for an eye. That doesn't, yeah. you know. That's... You could you maybe shame the system. However, okay, here's something. Um, what you just said about kind of, you know, accusations of rape before they they go to courts. So not long ago, I was in New Orleans and I bumped into um, this woman called Laurie Penny, who's a who's a kind of prominent uh, feminist writer in Britain, like very, very sort of um, outspoken feminist writer. Mm-hmm. And she was reading my book and she was sort of, kind of trying to kind of grapple with it because she, you know, she shames people as, <laughs> as, a, as, a, as a feminist. So, so she said to me, um, you know, we had coffee and I really liked him. We got on really well and, and, you know, I really like her. But then later on, she emailed me and she said, OK, this is what she said. And I don't think I have like a kind of clear cut pat answer to this. But she said, OK, look, all right, don't shame that person or that person or that person. But rape accusations should still, that should still happen on social media oh. because the courts are so terrible when it comes to Which rape. isn't fault. That is true. But it you is c- true. But you, so. if you, but you, if you are wrong, you destroy someone's life. Or if you are lying, you destroy yeah, someone's life. Yeah, but that's only yeah. two to five percent of the of the peop- of rape accusations are false. Yeah, but even one is too many. Right. I, re- uh, I mean, this totally you know, sort of pushes the anti-shaving argument to its, like, furthest edge. Yeah, it's so, so frustrating. Yeah, and, to... I'm, and I'm trying to think, well, what, what do I, what, you know, what should women feel about that? I mean, and it happens quite often. So Stoyer, 
you know, accused James Dean. She Dina used to Bray. date my boyfriend before I dated him. She, we've interviewed her. Yeah. Right, she, okay. yeah. Right. But that, but see, it's interesting. So we interviewed her and then like maybe a month later, I, I was on, I was, cause we just met up with her the other week and I, I told her, I was like, I was on Twitter when you'd like, I saw that tweet just come from you. And I was like, oh fuck. And then you see the media mm-hmm. instead of. Like I, I got what she was saying on Twitter was like, hey, this guy isn't a feminist. Like, take him off this box that you've put him on, because when we were together, he raped me. And I said the safe word. And he's not what you think it is. He you think he is. And then all of these publications were like, James Dean rape Stoya. It's right. like, OK, all right. We're not totally. you're taking her narrative and putting it another place. Did he ever publicly deny that? Uh, he did. He did. He yeah. publicly denied it. And but mm-hmm. has he since like has he stuck with that story? Yeah, he doesn't really talk about it. I haven't no. heard much from him in terms. I of, mean, like, it's because you know he lost a ton of deals with you know he got dropped porn, by porn deals yeah. and sex toy deals and. I get the feeling though that he's. I know a little bit about this because I've been sort of following it. Um, right. And I, I get the feeling he's sort of slowly kind of eking back he some is. of the deals that he lost and so on. I I'd hmm. spent time with Stoya in the in the weeks before. That had, that had happened too. Oh, cool! And so, my, and I, you know, like you, I think she's great. I mean, yeah, I loved spending time with her. So, so obviously, you know, when I, she's like a weirdo. I love it. She's yeah, so yeah. like very smart and very smart. introverted, but like adorable. Yeah, she's great. <laughs> yeah. Um, one thing that interests me about the story thing about that was that in the aftermath there was such a gender disparity between people who supported story and people who supported James. All the dudes hated. Like I feel like. Yeah. I almost felt this like rage of jealousy, hatred of like, yeah, James Dean's a rapist, motherfucker. Uh, like they just, I don't know. I feel like dudes uh, hated James Dean and porn because women were obsessed with him because he was this boy next door guy who would act out the kinkiest fantasy. And for a lot of women, that's such a rare thing to come by. Right. And it's their ultimate, like, you know, sexual fantasy. So I thought mm. that was interesting. Yeah. yeah. But I'm, I'm sort of, you know, I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, I deliberately in my public shaming book, I, I you know, the, the, the crimes and transgressions were not, you know, serious. I mean, in most cases, not serious at all. And in one or two cases, not particularly serious. So I, I kept well away from like things like rape and, and murder yeah. and so on. Um, but when Laurie Penny said that to me, I, I, I thought, well, you know, I, I do understand that, you know, but at the same time, I don't feel that comfortable it, with it. Yeah, it's I don't know how I feel about it because it's mm-hmm. like, well, it's your story. And there was a mm-hmm. This American Life episode a couple weeks ago about a girl who was raped and no one believed her, not even her um, her foster parents. And then uh, months or years down the road, the police ended up making her sign a letter saying that she wasn't raped so that they can just close the case. And she was really frustrated and no one, no one believed her. And then uh, very similar things that the rapist did to her, he did to two other women and a detective put put it together, called her and then they did DNA tests and she was raped. Raped. Mm. Like they, they had like proof. I'm like, oh, why? Yeah. Oh, it's so, but it, that's her story. Like if she wanted to come out on social media and say, I was raped by this guy and no one's believing me. Cause I don't, I would feel such a loss of control if people took my story and made it like you're lying or mm. something that it wasn't. Yeah. Well, and, and of course, you know, when rape victims go through real judicial, the real judicial process, it can be completely horrendous. There's, mm-hmm. there's a story, um, in so you've been published, I don't only talk about social media shamings, but I talk about kind of actual real judicial sh- shamings too. And, and basically, shamings happen. You know, shaming is one of the biggest courtroom weapons. One barrister said to me, "If you can humiliate them, you've won." Like, yeah. uh, which is such a weird way of kind of, you know, 
living your life. It's like because some people are more it's humiliatable like than other people. Yeah, yeah. The sensitive people are more easily humiliated than the Donald Trumps, and, and those are the people who are suffering anyway. Yeah, at first, exactly. Yeah. Um, and there's a girl in my book called Lindsay Armstrong who was raped, and on in in, on, in the dock, uh, the defence barrister made her hold up her underwear, and it and it had little devil written on it. And she killed herself. Oh, my God. Right, because she had fun underwear. That's that's a good reason. Uh, well, yeah, I think it's know. interesting. Feminism, I think, does use shaming a lot. And and it's I think it's hurting the movement because when it, you can use shame in, in, a, in a situation to kind of uh, come out about being raped if no one else believes you. And that can be a, a really powerful tool. However, I feel like we're using very strong shaming in things that are small, like like man spreading on the subway. So if you're shaming people people at the same level for fucking spreading their legs too wide on the subway that you are for someone who raped you then it's like the turns into the boy who cried wolf and it's like well when when do i believe I, these people these women are just being dramatic these women are just being crazy totally um what's happening and it's not just with you know with sort of feminist shamings is happening kind of in with every sort of shaming at the moment is that there's a people are, are failing to make a distinction between serious and unserious transgressions exactly mm-hmm. what you said justine sacco's flippant joke where she's trying to be like Trey Parker and Matt Stone is, you know, she was punished in the same way that like a racist cop, yeah, you know, who shoots somebody would right. be, you know, would be. So in terms of like social media shaming, she's destroyed. She's relentlessly got off pursued. On it, though. They, you yeah. could see that them getting off on her being on a plane and not even knowing that she's about to get fired and everything. It's so gross. People love that. People were tweeting things like, we're about to watch this Justin Sacco bitch get fired in real time before she even knows she's being fired. And oh. it was hilarious to people. People oh. loved the fact That's... that she was asleep and, and oblivious. So you're right, yeah. Uh, Mansplaining or mansplaining is being treated, and and all this stuff, all this does really, and you're seeing it happen with, with Twitter getting, um, you know, losing, losing um, subscribers and so on, is what this is doing is turning people away from social justice. It's turning, you know, mm-hmm. I went to college in the eighties where. We were all social justice people, you know, we were all fighting apartheid, we were fighting student loans, everyone was a social justice person, but there was always one person who was like more social justice than everybody else. <laughs> oh, it's like, John, that, you're telling me. Right. Oh. And you know what, that fucker from the 80s <laughs> now gets to decide everything. That fucker from the 80s is now like in charge. I hate yeah. that person. <laughs> yeah. And that's the person who destroys Justine Sacco while she's asleep on a plane. Oh. But it's worse than that. It's like when a psychopath is in charge of a business and like everybody has to behave a little bit more psychopathically to keep up. Like the non-psychopath. So that's <laughs> right. what's happening on social media. Yeah. So that fucker yeah. from the 80s gets Justin Sacco. Everybody else thinks, wow, that person's amazing because they managed to kind of express their outrage so well in 140 characters that everybody like gets a little bit more psychopathic and a bit more social justice sort of outraged Mm -hmm. to keep up. Uh, Have you ever been shamed? Yeah, since the book came out. Since since the book came out, like what kind of thing, has anything bothered you in particular? Yeah, uh, yeah, you know, one thing bothered me. um, Okay, so after the book came out, um, one of a chapter from the book was excerpted in the New York Times and it, and it was one about Justine Sacco and it kind of went crazy viral. And most people were like, they loved it. Um, they loved your stance on it. Yeah, mm-hmm. like they were like, oh my God, I can't believe, you know, it's yeah. like I, I made people see the story in the right way. Yeah. And, yeah. and people were like emailing Justine 
and saying I'm so sorry what we did. Actually, no, but what people did do was say I'm emailing Justine and saying I'm so sorry what those people did to you. Like almost nobody said I was those, one of those people. people. You'll, and yeah. then like delete your retweet. Right. <laughs> what are you talking about, Sharon? You were fucking. All right. But yeah. then people started turning on me. Uh, for defending Justine. Well, perfect. So, they needed someone else to yeah, blame. Someone's yeah, someone's got to fucking <laughs> catch so, their rage. Right. So one person tweeted, after reading that excerpt from his book, I think it's safe to say that John Ronson is a fucking racist. Um, <laughs> what? Yes. Oh, my God. Then, God um, damn. Yeah. You should get arrested for using hyperbolic language like uh, that. Especially. Like that. social media arrested. Like all your fucking right. accounts get suspended for a day. What happened after that was um, some Chelsea football fans. There was a video emerged online of these Chelsea football fans um, pushing a black man off a train in Paris <gasps> oh while chanting, we're racist, we're racist, and that's the way we like it. Oh, it's horrible, horrific oh, video. That's so, racist. That's yeah, a little that's more racist. clear. That's fucking racist. A couple of people tweeted me, uh, oh, um, I bet John Ronson's going to cape up for them next. <laughs> <laughs> What the fuck? Okay, I'll tell you what's happening here. These are people who are playing psychological tricks on themselves to not feel so bad about what they did about Justine Sacco. Okay, yes. So by comparing Justine Sacco to these Chelsea football fans, I was like collateral damage in their psychological (laughs) tricks. Yeah, they're like, that's just fine, a greater evil. Yeah, exactly. Let's compare Justine Sacco to a greater evil and then we won't feel so bad about what we did now that John, you know, it it was a response to being called out. But then that's, for some people, that stuck. And, and that went on and on and on. Like, like every time a dentist killed a lion or whatever <laughs> every happened. Time, every like, time. Yeah. You know, those dentists, dentists need to calm the fuck down <laughs> with their guns. It's like, waits for John Ronson people... to cape up. For <laughs> all these things that I hadn't fucking... John Ronson, racist, hates lions. We yeah, know this yeah, about exactly. you. That's how we build you. Yeah. And like, nobody who read the book feels that way. I mean, the book is a, is a liberal book. Yeah, like, this... read the book, motherfucker, yeah. and before you open your mouth. Well, you know what happened? I tweeted... I've, I've written a lot of this in the new chapter in the paperback that's come out. Oh, stop rubbing it in. Yeah, you can... oh, so, so I tweeted, um, <laughs> by the way, because I wanted people to read the book, so I, so I tweeted, by the way, the Justin Sacco extract in the New York Times isn't a standalone article, it's an extract from a book. And then somebody tweeted, oh, now... <laughs> <laughs> oh, now Ronson's saying it's an extract from a book. I mean, what the fuck does that mean? You're it was an, always, a fucking author. It was always an extract from a book. Did this guy think I like, went home and like, quickly wrote a They're book? This asshole just wrote a book to prove <laughs> me wrong. But the thing is, they're so used to bloggers, they probably did think. Because like these, yeah. these idiots who are just tweeting, they don't, they don't read books. They only read blogs, okay? Mm. They read blogs. You can edit a blog. You can just, it's just not, it's not. Is anybody yeah. uh, that rude to you to your face? No, never. Isn't that funny oh, about what humans? a surprise. Yeah. But the worst, you're like, oh, you look so yeah. kind and sweet. <laughs> yeah. And then on Twitter, you're yeah. like, you're But you know what happened? A, a kind of weird, interesting thing happened as a result of all of this. And it's because I, I became more entrenched in my position. And I became the person who would like defend every ambiguously shamed person. Good. And good, except I became a bit of a fucking meme caricature, you know, uh. and, and it began to get unseemly. And even though I, I, I feel I was right each time, I became like a kind of joke for, for a couple of months. This was only a couple of months, like over the spring and the summer of last year. Everyone's rolling their eyes. There goes John defending yeah, people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. And it reached its... Um, Apex with yeah, <clears throat> with Rachel Dolezal, and I, uh, she was shamed a lot. Yeah, so okay, so this was this this was like for me this was like the end of it. Like, uh, well, uh, uh, so what happened was so I, I wake up and I go on the Guardian and mm-hmm. I see the story about Rachel Dolezal, this woman who faked being black. Um, 
who was the head of the Spokane NAACP. So I thought, God, what a, you know, as a journalist, I, th- I had like a million questions, like what an extraordinary question, like what motivated her to do that? Yeah. So mysterious, so interesting, like why, you know, was she doing it, you know, because um, like transgender people, like I don't know, I don't, right. that's completely out of my wheelhouse, like I don't know, but maybe. Yeah. I had like a million questions and I thought, I wonder what Twitter, <laughs> I wonder what Twitter's making of it. Ugh. I swear to God, before I went on Twitter. <laughs> so to the pool ex- of humanity, the experts on Twitter. Right. <laughs> so of course, I went on Twitter, honestly thinking people, you know, might be on her side. I don't even know. Some, Possibly. Some people were. Some people were, but it, it got better later on when people, I think Rihanna sort of came came out on her side later on. But, oh, okay. but that morning... Um, Everybody was like, well, she's a racist. She's no different. It's blackface. She's no different from Nike. She's working at the NAACP. She right. was like, naive, if yeah. anything. I don't, she wasn't a racist. And also, she was, shame on us for fucking lo- looking at her face and being like, I don't think she's black. Yeah. <laughs> Look at her face. Yeah, it started with right. us. Like, like are fuck? you black? <laughs> no, you're not. Like, I mean, we happen to be right this one time. <laughs> but that's not a question you just ask somebody. And I know everyone like, you can't tell if someone's black by looking at their face. Okay, well, right. yeah, I don't know what to tell you now. <laughs> so I, I so I just thought fuck this is like and nobody I mean at that point like she hadn't given any statements yeah like, I remember there was, he, she was silent for a yeah, while yeah totally silent nobody nobody knew anything about and, her but everyone was sitting back going how embarrassing ooh yeah. I know and she's it. such a racist she's like Nike appropriating hip hop culture to sell her sneakers it's blackface it's appropriation she's Every, and, like, everyone was united in saying this like everyone well yeah. most people were basically united in saying she's a racist now I thought A I'm just sick of us constantly making damaged people our playthings. Yes, thank yeah. you, John. Yeah. That was yeah. good. Let's put that in a little... That could be a bumper a sticker. Meme, yeah. maybe. Yeah. Or a t-shirt, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> and then I thought, nobody, like, no one knows anything. Like, maybe she's a racist. Maybe this is all a, a trick. If she's but a racist, she why would she spend all her time with, with, with African-American the community? Because well, then, yeah. then she's better. really a genius racist right. because she put all this work in to get to the top oh, and then take them down. That's like a misogynist working at like a period, like a tan Tampon company. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought, you know, okay, of all the list of like possibilities, that's pretty much the lowest on the list, right? So I tweeted, not out of some kind of here's an opportunity to talk about my book again, uh, <laughs> but I I've spent all you this time. Book? What? <laughs> but I thought that no, I've spent all this time with like damaged people. I've been a journalist for 30 years. Like I've totally gone from being like like you know, over my journalistic career, I've gone from being the prosecution to the defence. Like I get older, like I, I I accumulate damage, and I'm and you know I've come to certain conclusions about how we deal with other damaged people, which is with they curiosity, yeah, compassion and empathy, not like instant cold judgment. And I and I became like really annoyed, like lying in bed. This is all over the, the course of about. 45 seconds and, and I <laughs> you're I, such a fast thinker right, I became very annoyed and I thought this is the opposite of how I want the world to be so I tweeted something along the lines so of, you t- this is the opposite of how I wanted the world to be <laughs> so, so, so I, I want to tell other people they're wrong exactly. no exactly. amazing no, this was what my, did you tweet this was my this was like a nadia I, I tweeted yeah. like Something like feeling incredibly <laughs> sorry for Rachel Dolezal, and I hope she's okay. The world knows nothing about her and her motives. That's so, so I tweeted true, a link to John Lennon's Imagine, and then I went to bed. <laughs> like, 
It was insane. I that did was my so duty helpful. today. Yeah. That was so helpful. And you no, know what? You are so right. That, that was a <laughs> no. ridiculous fucking response. I don't think, no, I, I'm, call me Cheesy McGee over here, but uh, uh, that's a really true sentiment. Like, no one wants to fucking feel empathy for people. And the reality is everyone who does something shameful mm. They have a story or a reason or a path that yeah, led them to no, do that. No, I'm not making yeah. fun of the sentiment. I'm making fun of the fact that to, to that that his to tweets. It's such tweeting is so passive. Yeah. Oh yeah, okay, I'm, I'm making fun of this. The yeah. sentiment was fine. Of course, you, all your words are beautiful. You're a beautiful yeah. author. You're great. But a bit like like when you stub. Okay, so a bit like when you stub your toe and there's no pain for a minute, and then the pain comes in. Yeah, that's a bit like what happened that morning. So for a little while, <laughs> <laughs> like, nothing happened. Like, Were you <laughs> checking Twitter and? Refreshing your uh, notifications uh, yeah, because, and you're pissed that no one's getting mad at you. I, I think I kind of not pissed that no one was getting mad at me because I or don't agreeing. want people to be mad at me. No, so a, a little bit of me was thinking, I, I hope that wasn't like an ill advised thing to tweet, <laughs> and I hope nothing bad happens. <laughs> And then, and then bad things started to happen. So what bad things? Well, I was I was it went kind of you know insanely viral. And people were writing articles about about it. your tweet. Yeah, um, Jesus, people uh, love you. Yeah, they do. No, I mean, they but, love to hate you. Yeah, well, at that well, moment, loved either way. But you know what? That had never happened to me. Like after thirty, you know, no one hated the many steric goats or the psychopath test. But suddenly, but I felt that kind of tipped it over the edge because here was the person who defended white privilege, Justine Sacker, is now defending white privileged Rachel Doljow and then people took those fragments and, and made, and made it a story about your story out of me yeah but that's just because and, right now we're in an age where like the it, it's the racist craft mm. trials you know that's just like that yeah. racism is the hot thing to mm-hmm. like accuse people of yeah so but, that's just and that's so that's those are the people who need defending the people who are have been accused of this and when it's not true at all mm. especially when there's tons of real racism that we should be racism that we should be worrying about totally so whenever you talk about shame though uh-huh. So you're gonna get shit. Yeah. You can talk about mental disorders or the psychopath or, you know, yeah. a business book. No mm. one's gonna shit on you for writing a business book. Right. But when you talk about shame, I don't know. People just freak out over there's, it. Everyone exactly. has so much of it. There's yeah. a kind of sen- yeah, there's a kind of sentimentality, I guess, about talking about mental disorders and mental illness. Like people kind of know to be sympathetic towards people who suffer from mental illnesses and mental disorders. But we haven't reached that place with people like Justine Sacco or, or Rachel Dolezal, these people who are being disproportionately punished. Yeah, like um, I made a mistake. We yeah. all make Don't mistakes. Don't you feel frustrated, mm-hmm. like knowing, you know that people are using damaged people as their play toys. I think you are completely dead on about yeah. that. And it's like you almost, like society takes so long to catch up and be... And, and be on board with this shit. Why does it take so long? That's so frustrating. It's really frustrating. We will. There's no question that we'll look back on these times as you know something great happened through social media. You know, great proper yeah. civil liberties advances happened. I think like Oscars so white, for instance, and Black Lives Matter. And, yeah, I think and yes, look- all women. Like when you clicked on that hashtag, I was reading and I was expecting to roll my eyes, and I was like, oh shit, this is really poignant experiences that are horrible that mm-hmm. need to be talked about. Sure, things like what you guys are doing, the anti slut shame stuff this is all like proper good measured reasoned attacks at real problems in in the world and then alongside that something terrible is happening which is this kind of constant collateral damage this constant instant judgmental you know cruelty against as i say like damaged people and and yeah and i and, I'm, and i think we will look back on these terms no question as you know 
Oscar So White and all that stuff like that. Amazing. This really changed the world. Justin Sacco, what the fuck were we doing? Yeah. Yeah. And there's no question. And, um, but, you know, the mainstream media's makes damaged people its playthings too they do the media yeah. feeds into that like grossness mm-hmm. uh, uh, like whenever you see it's oh, and it's always a woman like chloe kardashian is a paparazzi photo of her going to the grocery store store in a skirt and the headline will say chloe kardashian shows off her lanky lanky legs at her i'm like she's fucking trying to get lettuce <laughs> she's going to the store she's not showing off anything and you're this magazine is pushing this in my face of like she's showing off her legs and then my brain's like, uh, why is she showing up for that? And I'm like, oh, Christ. Like, this is such a never-ending bullshit <laughs> right. thing. Have you ever um, experienced same shame with your sexuality? Because hmm. that's a tough, uh, whenever I have, it's just, it's really, it's a tough, can be a tough pill to swallow. It can be very damaging. You know, John Ronson yeah. out on the streets, dressing like a whore yet again. Yeah. <laughs> you sl- Look at his James Pierce. Look at his that hoodie. And that slutty uh, okay. cap and hoodie. <laughs> um, no. And if you don't want to talk I, I, about I, it, no, I just think I'm basically. I just feel like no one talks of, to you about de- your sexuality. Well, nobody ever does, but that's because I'm basically kind of desexualized. I'm like this kind of. Are you um, a like? What's your deal? Uh, I I'm I mean I'm not like. Um, <laughs> oh, you're so cute. <laughs> I'm blushing. I, I love, love you. Uh, right. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, I think the fact that I'm blushing is kind of answers your question. Yeah. Right. I'm, I'm I feel very comfortable like hanging out at porn shoots. And stuff. I was gonna say, what's John Ronson yeah. like on a porn shoot? Like, what do you do? I tell do you, you really... play with the wires? Oh, or? what was so funny was that all these porn people kept coming up to me. These kind of. Um, uh, this was a, this was a kink.com. Uh, it was called Public Disgrace. I went there for, for, for my book. Site. Yeah. So I went there for <laughs> my publishing book. Um, yeah, people kept coming up to me um, and kind of rubbing, like porn people kept coming up to me, like rubbing my arms just to make sure I was like, okay, like I'm not feeling too intimidated. Aww. I say in the book, it's almost like, you know, everybody was being so concerned about me because I was so like tweedy and, and bespectacled. <laughs> At a porn <laughs> shoot, it was almost like I was one about to get my genitals electrocuted. <laughs> like, May I try that when you're done? Uh, um, what, what? And you watched a porn happen? Yeah, I um, I watched Jodie Taylor getting nice. her genitals electrocuted. <laughs> you say by... it so sweetly. Yeah. It sounds so yeah. You should narrate it. a porn. It's funny at a break, um, like all the people in the room were going, "I bet that's those electrical pads aren't real. I bet it's all fake." And so, like, because it was like there was like an invited crowd. It was oh. so f- and, yeah. And then, they were electricity shaming. That right. Was, right. Yeah. So then they tried it <laughs> on each other's. They tried on each other's arms. It was like ow ow. So it was like real. <laughs> the electricity was real. Um, so basically, yeah. So Donna invited like a bunch of people into this bar bar room situation where like we, we were all in a bar. This was like in the San Fernando Valley, and then Donna pulls in Jodie Taylor. And then like pulls in like on a wagon or no, which she's got like a, a, a chain around her neck uh, yeah. and all of that. And then kind of violates her in front of all the people in the bar. And the people in the bar had to be like, um, had to like act like they had to oh. like surprised when she oh, went. they were extras. <laughs> well, they were like invited people, but none of them were like paid. <laughs> and then they had to like shout out humiliating things. But everybody was like, so like, surprise, you're in a porn today. Well, so Basically, they, they, so she pulls Jodie Taylor in, and like a couple of people will go like, "Oh, <laughs> <laughs> what's That's this?" What yeah. And then um, my word, 
that. Oh, and then when my they, goodness. And then when all the, the sex stuff happened, so like, you know, Donna... The had, sex stuff. So Donna had already told everybody to, like, shout stuff out. Like, shout like stuff Like mean out. things? Yeah, mean things. Yeah, so like... Yeah, a, yeah. yeah. Did you, what did you say? Bloody wank, you, you're a jerk. You're not nice all the time. I didn't say anything because I'm introverted. Most of the people didn't say anything because they're introverts. But one man in a beanie cap who was, like, just trying Always his best... A beanie. Yeah, he shouted out... Um, put ice on her tooth. What the fuck did I do with anything? That's his thing. That's his thing, yeah. Um, I peered and I got too close. And actually there is To the sex scene? Yeah, because I wanted to make sure I wasn't missing anything. So so I... um, (laughs) They were like, uh, cut, John, can you get back, please? You're in the shot. Well, nobody said it, but there is somewhere on (laughs) kink.com. Oh, yes, video we're going to find where this. Where Princess Donna is like kind of electrocuting Jodie Taylor's genitals and then a kind of bespectacled, <laughs> like owl-like man with a notepad peers into shock. <laughs> and you hear... <laughs> wow. Know, that really I'm going to spend somewhere. the... I'm not going to come out of my house until I find that. Oh yeah. my god. Somebody actually sent me a, a somebody on Twitter sent me a screenshot. They found they found me. Oh my god. Yeah, I need so to look there. that's adorable. Isn't it weird though with sex and especially like kinky kink se- kinky sex? Uh, um shame is a tool like is a positive thing in it because it gets people off mm. why what's that about that's so interesting i mean you know donna and and jody taylor were like really interesting about that too um you know because i get it but i don't know yeah. why well she said to me, it's a you know you it's a it's it's a bit like what you guys do right it's like you think about the worst well i mean it's when I, it's like in the same family as what you guys do mm-hmm. it's about kind of integrating and and you know owning your own stuff yeah it's like you know be out before you're outed. Right. And, and that's how you stay ahead of the game. That's how you stay ahead of the game. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And so I think that's what Donna would say. Like she thinks about like the worst possible thing that could happen. I can't remember whether Donna or Jodie Taylor said this to me. One of them did. Like you think about the worst thing that could possibly happen, like being raped in, in a bar. Right. And But then if you, if you, if you kind of orchestrate that thing to happen and you're controlling it, then it kind of de-shames it. Mm, and yeah, also but then it's so hot. It. Yeah, and, yeah. Why the hell is that? It's so interesting to me. I mean, I try not to think about it too much because I'm like, I don't want to ruin it for myself. Mm-hmm. But like a rape fantasy is something that I, with a partner that I trust, with my boyfriend of five years, I love. But mm-hmm. that's like the thing I'm also scared of. <laughs> it's so weird. That is weird. Right? I because well, it's thrilling to fight that fear. The same thing is like, I don't think anyone like loves the idea of like getting like dropped on, on a roller coaster like hundreds of feet. Right. But then when you finally fight that fear, that feeling that you have is exhilarating. Yeah. It doesn't mm-hmm. feel like fighting a fear. I don't know what it feels like. Yeah. You're, you're conquering a fear because then because just like you said, it's because rape is it's a, a crime of control, not sex. Right. And so it, when you have the control, just the same thing is like when you're on stage doing stand-up you have the control of the room and when you're and when you're in charge of all these people and they're kind of you're orchestrating their laughter that's powerful and it's thrilling yeah i think it's all kind of under the same umbrella yeah where mm. you did you ever have moments in your in your youth where you were like how was it finding your sexuality as a child like because when we're teenagers or when we're you know young kids it's like no one knows what they're like did your parents give you a sex talk did you get any education how was how was your education about Uh, sex ed i don't remember getting much of an education at all i I kind of worked it out for myself when i went to college and and then i had like some great years of promiscuous sexual behavior okay yeah i remember being really surprised (laughs) yeah one of the um one of the items on the psychopath checklist is 
is uh, one of the 20 items is promiscuous sexual behaviour, uh, which always really surprised me. Because <laughs> yeah, I, I look back on those times with great fondness. Uh, I, for, for a number of years, that, that was all Did you put great. that on the checklist? Uh, it was Robert Hare. No, oh, I didn't okay. invent the checklist. I was like, this, this is the pre-written. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. yeah, this is a checklist that was like designed in the 70s. And you have to have a lot of the things checked, right? Yeah, yeah, Not yeah. You one. need about 15 out of the 20. And how do we know? But how do we know like he was right? Yeah, that's another yes. thing. Well, I mean, this is a whole <laughs> big question, Kermit. Yeah. Um, I mean, this opens up like a whole. Do I have like, to read that book too now? Uh, I'm not gonna. <laughs> I see what you're doing. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so that was that was you know good times for a while <laughs> in college. You were slaying, slaying. <laughs> Yeah, puss I was slam bus. We're going to research everything slam, you're saying. Slang puss. Oh, slang puss. Yes, I, was. <laughs> I love hearing you say that. Um, <laughs> okay, so you just had, you never had any sort of like anything traumatic or like bad in terms of like people being like, John's a slut. I mean, it doesn't happen to no. guys a lot. So, and that night, how's that feel? That's yeah. Nice. You know, it's funny. Um, like, this is going to sound incredibly pious, but just in general, like, Okay, this is going to sound terrible. I hope people will go bear for with it. Me I hope it sounds this. really bad. What's your okay. email address? Give that before <laughs> you say it. <laughs> uh, so, since this book came out, I'm going to get round to, to kind of what you said. Sure. Since this book came out, and then I had all these shames, like after the Rachel Dolezal thing, people said I was like a white supremacist, and and you know, it's all, all this kind of you know objectifying stuff, and it made me realize that like a kind of schlubby white man like me has never known what it feels like to be objectified. And, so true. Yeah, and when it happened, like, last year with with this book coming out, I realised it feels, like, really fucking bad. Yeah. And, and and I realised that, God, I, I was so lucky, you know, that, I, <clears throat> that as, you know, women and people of colour have known this for a long time and I never knew it. Like, yeah. you know, being promiscuous at college, there was no downside. Like none. You didn't even feel like bad about it. No, or... I wow. felt great. Also, awesome. you're not schlubby. Just like the uh, Michael not in your book uses schlubby to kind of like make his story more dramatic. Yes. Like, you're way shut too, up, Michael. You're way too intelligent to be and well dressed to be schlubby. Yeah. Anyway, well, moving on. You. Do you think um, going back to uh, like how do you stop this? It's like like you know a lot of like. Like a racist white person, for example, does has no like a tr- like I've talked to some of them and they're they're mm. fucking gross, mm. and they just are incapable of understanding or putting themselves in anybody else's shoes except except theirs. Mm. So it's like, well, do you do we shame that person to then have empathy, or do we do what to that person what is being done to so many people and it's so unjust so that they develop empathy? It, it kind of seems counterintuitive, but at the same I, time, I don't know. And, and of course, sometimes the shaming of a really bad person teaches society how to behave in a good way i mean i mean this okay so when i was writing this book i i deliberately like i was thinking all of these thoughts like what am i against here Mm because nobody was having this conversation at this time this was like you know honestly i mean to be kind of um egotistical for a second i think you know my book and then Monica Lewinsky's TED Talk coming up pretty much the I same week. I love that TED Talk. So good. And they're both very similar and they both came out the same week. And I think those two things, more than anything, the book and her talk sort of springboarded people having this conversation. Yeah, but when absolutely. I was writing the book, you know, no one was having this conversation. So I had to like sit in my room and try and work out what I was for and what I was against. And I came to a certain place, which was like, okay, 
this book is going to be about the disproportionate punishment of people who haven't done anything wrong. Like if I'd met Justine Sacco and she'd said, the reason why I told that AIDS joke is because I'm a racist and I love being a racist. <laughs> I, 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 this is the best. Yeah, I wouldn't have put her in the book. Um, right. <laughs> so Good for you. Yeah, someone like, Get some integrity in there, John. Right. I mean, there's some people out there like Monica and like Brene Brown. I, I, I think I'm right. I mean, I don't want to put words in their mouths, but yeah. I think I'm right in saying that they're kind of radically anti-shaming in all its forms. Yeah. Um, and that includes like Donald Trump, you know. I mean, I, I might be wrong about this, but, I, you know, they're certainly more radical. I mean, and I personally, I kind of veer between, you know, um, when it comes to kind of people who really are, bad you know people who do bad things i i veer between the two yeah. in, in general i would say being curious about somebody and trying to ask them questions and get to the bottom of why they believe you know what they believe in a sort of you know non-hostile way is better because i'll tell you i'll tell you why actually it's because um, like I've spent lots of time at, with like the Ku Klux Klan and with you know white Whoa. supremacists. You hang out with the weirdest people. I, I would love to see your contacts you've list met in your phone. A person in the cl- you've oh, hung, God, I, I totally hung out with Klan? the Klan. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> totally hung out with the Klan. No, yeah. now I see why everyone's like white supremacist. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so even wow. when and even when I'm like with like so the furthest reaches of like yeah, the, you know the worst extremism. sort of behavior. Yeah, I don't feel that my position in those situations, unlike other journalists who do similar stuff than I do, I don't feel I'm like a kind of representative of righteous society. Like, I don't feel I go into those situations so that everybody knows that I'm good and they're bad. Right. I I go into those situations uh, as somebody who's kind of curious. Like, I want to, you know, curiosity is what's what's pushing me, not, not kind of righteousness well that that comes through in your writing because you're not pretentious you're very just like i, I you want to educate yourself and think it out that's why like i was talking to grin a couple weeks ago like i really sounds weird but i really want to interview a rapist on this podcast because i want to know what the fuck is going on in their head i th- sh- it would probably be really yeah, no, scary course. but like yeah. i want to know what they're thinking because we've talked to so many people who've been <clears throat> victims of horrible sexual assault crimes and we don't talk to the other side and i think it's important well to that do. goes yes. along with why you follow people that you disagree with on twitter it's the same exact idea mm. everyone uh, you know we have a lot of douchebags on this podcast you of course not uh but uh <laughs> we have a lot of douchebags and then people yeah. will email us and be like yo why do you have a lot of douchebags on this podcast i'm like because the world is full of douchebags yeah. right. and if we don't talk to the douchebags we're never gonna understand how the douchebag mind works yeah, yeah. we're not only gonna have these amazing feminist leader you know what i that mean would like be that, ridiculous and it yeah. would be boring and you wouldn't learn anything from totally. it totally and if you do get a rapist onto the podcast you wouldn't need you maybe we already have had one (laughs) oh shit (laughs) you wouldn't need at some point during the interview to say to that person you know i think you're a terrible person right it's like that you know the interview wouldn't necessarily be better for you saying that to somebody Mm -hmm. that doesn't have to be your role yeah i think that's an unspoken yeah uh, (laughs) unspoken thought I would think. But, yeah. But I think exactly. it's so important. And it's, also to understand it, I mean, it, you know, even even something as horrific as a rape, I think sh- whether it happens to you or you do it is should not define your entire life. Yeah. I mean, I want to hear there has to be something fucking going through your mind when you're raping someone. Circumstance. I want to hear doesn't mm. really make it any 
better, but but just it just understand why it's happening because yes. I I truly as as my, little respect as I have for people, I truly don't believe most people are evil and waking up in the morning and be like, you know what, I'm gonna fucking rape the shit out of someone. I just don't think it's happening. Well, you'll get to a part. Um, I mean, I, I I've thought a lot about this stuff too. In this because in the psychopath test, most psychopath researchers will basically say. You know, they're like the kind of psychopaths are kind of like another species. They're not like us. They look like us, but they're like the kind of lions. Like an X Man, yeah. Do yeah. they sneak up on you? <laughs> some do. Like, because you know, like a narcissist or something, like uh-huh. you don't know. Like, I, I fucking meet some of them and then I'm like, I love them. They're the best. And then fucking a year later, I'm right. like, God damn it. Oh, yeah, because they, they charm you and, yeah. and they act. And so and are, I'm sure there are people out there, and I've met some people out there who are kind of like that. You know, they're, they're not like proper. They're not like they're not like us, but most people. <laughs> but I, I think that's a very tiny minority of people. And, yeah. and like you, I think most people who act badly act badly because of some kind of damage. And I met this psychiatrist called James Gilligan, who spent his life with rapists and murderers in Boston. Whoa. And he his conclusion um, was that all everybody, every serial killer he's ever spent time with, every rapist, every you know pimp who murdered you know, the women, uh, you know, who were working for him and so on, they they were all harbouring a central secret. And that secret was that they felt ashamed, like deeply ashamed. Wow. And because they all had like these, you know, extremely terrible childhoods. And wow. Gilligan's, you know, where they were like kind of raped by their parents and, and you know, set on fire and so on. And, Gil- and Gilligan's conclusion um, is that, all he's this is his quote all violence is an attempt to replace shame with self-esteem whoa yeah and and that's why now personally i think maybe like i love gilligan and he's much closer to how i see the world than 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 say the the psychopath experts who say well they're like monsters they're like another species but both both statements are pretty extremely polemic but i would say in many cases what gilligan is saying is is true yeah Damn. I, I just like you just need to dig deeper when you when you, you read a dig. story about a person like you just everyone yeah. loves the label. And a lot of times the labeling can be like we had a, a, a panel where we had two people on who were asexual. Mm-hmm. And one of them was describing we got a lot of people writing us afterwards saying like, that's what it is. I may say and they found this label and mm-hmm. it made them happy because they found this place of identity where their whole lives they were like, I guess I'm just weird. So sometimes right. it can be beneficial. But yes. And it can't. It's like everything's good and bad. I can't. Oh, it's confusing. Yeah. I, I agree. I think some labels can be beneficial. I, I think I think OCD is a beneficial label because I, I think that if you've got OCD and you don't know it, you don't know what the fuck's going on. I have it, and I've seen right. like I have a like, like my, very mild case of it, but I had it, and I and I remember being in the mall with my mother when I was like a teenager, and seeing a little kid just uh, exhibiting OCD behavior, just you know touching things in a very uh, methodical kind of a way, and I was like, I just walked by, and I was like, that kid has OCD. And he has no idea that he has OCD and he's going to struggle with that for a long time. But like, what the fuck do you do when you're 17? Do you go up and be like, hey, your kid has OCD. Like, I didn't feel like that was appropriate, but I just yeah. kind of, hey, lady, I saw his future. I was just like, you're going right. to, because I self-diagnosed, I, I was like, I just was like, I feel like these thoughts and these like compulsions to touch and think, you know, t- switch this light or your mom's going to die. Like, they, it just made no sense to me. Mm-hmm. And I, and so I just went to the library and I took out a shitload of books and I was like, hold, this is, this is that. And I was so yeah. thankful. But and it that was like, really helps. 
Because yeah. then you can get CBT or you can mm-hmm. get medication. Or, or you can or, just tell yourself that you're acting like a lunatic, which is what I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, <laughs> I don't uh, recommend that for everyone, but yeah. it, worked, it worked for me. <laughs> it works for Corinne Fisher. Yeah. No, totally. I, I think OCD is like, like a that. great example. Oh, some people would disagree, but I think, but I really think that OCD, that's a great example of where labelling is like a really positive thing yeah. for those reasons. But, you know, you're right. But in general, and especially as journalists, you know, my favourite question as a journalist is why? Like, why? You just keep asking somebody why. And like, you know, because why opens doors into new worlds? Whereas, whereas con- instant judgment mm-hmm. against people like Rachel Dolezal is the opposite of why. People don't want to know why. In fact, not only yeah. do people not want to know why, they think the asking of why is like a weakness. It's like it's weak to want to uh, know why. It's Rachel like you're Dolezal. already picking a side and you're against. Uh, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's, like, I know, it's, it's so awful. much noise. It's the opposite of the world that I want to live in. You know, it, it's this kind of constant judgment where nuance is a weakness and waiting for evidence is a weakness. I mean, why was I, you know, like for tweeting, I hope Rachel Dolezal is OK. Nobody knows anything about her. Like, that was a weakness. Like, oh, oh, you know, Ronson thinks we should wait and hear what she, what Rachel Dolce has to say as if we don't already know. <laughs> you know, that, that was basically the, the response. Yeah. And a lot of times, like, <clears throat> Corinne and I, we don't get as much shit as we thought we would with the podcast because it resonates with a lot of people and men, women, straight, every, every race, every gender, every age. And so, but every time... <clears throat> We get trolls every once in a while. Um, there's this one comedian that we just I dislike, and uh, his fans will tweet at us like, "You should get raped," and hmm. but if you block them, they'll like claim victory. Hmm. So I just mute them, and yes. they can just talk into the wall, and they have no idea. And I'm just sitting back, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Muting's definitely better than blocking for it that. Is. Reason. I'm like, oh, now you're getting a power trip because yeah. I blocked you. Fuck. Well, but thanks to a- Mike Cannon for pointing that out. That was a little tip. Oh, that was a little tip right. that he. Because yeah. you told me about muting. Yeah, Mike had told me, yeah. and I was like, "That tool. you're you're very smart." Mike. <laughs> but someone who gets pleasure from being blocked—that's kind of like somebody who's cutting, cutting themselves. Yeah, yeah, but it makes me mad because I'm like, I'm trying to make you pissed right. the way you, and now making you happy. What the fuck? Like mm. my instinct when someone makes me feel like bad is to make them feel worse right. which that ain't good yeah that's and, and exactly that's the problem that's why that's a huge problem that's why shaming the shamers is not is not a good idea yeah and that's why i think shaming this shaming a, a, a system like attacking bad ideas is is fine but pulling people out of the crowd and making them responsible for bad ideas yeah is, even example. well even like I, I think back to like paris hilton when she went to prison like the court was obviously making an example out of her like celebrities can't do whatever the fuck they want they need to abide by the laws of the land and i agree they do but also like i felt bad for her <laughs> like what did she, she get arrested was she drunk well, driving i don't even know what she did but it was just like the mm. punishment one of those things where the punishment didn't fit the crime and she we meet and we all or or, or the worst part was that we all saw paris like, hilton truly scared and upset being sent to jail and we were just applauding and <laughs> loving it it's gross it yeah. feels gross and yeah. even at the That's- time i was like come on number one we it's our fault paris hilton is famous for being kind of someone who does nothing the same thing it's like it's Kim like Kardashian. it's like these people we created them we we create these monsters quote unquote and then we uh l- then we sit back and eat popcorn as they are destroyed as they and mm. they self-implode and like that's just so disgusting. Yeah. Why are we doing that? It's, it's it's murderous, is what it is. It's like it's 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 like kind of um, it's like a form of murder. Uh, I remember growing up in Britain, there was this comedian called Carolina Hearn who who became like hugely successful, but she was you know pretty kind of 
damaged and troubled. And for a while, I kind of knew her. And I used to do a radio show with somebody who was like very close to her and so on. And for a little while, I got onto like the tabloids, like phone list. Like every time Carolina Hearn did something, you know, crazy in mm-hmm. public, I would get telephone calls from like journalists begging me to tell them what I know about oh Carolina Hearn. Mm-hmm. And this went on for a couple of months. Like, and I never did. I never said a it's word. It's so gross. So gross. And, but I thought, I thought, it's obvious what's going on here. They want her to die. They want, they want her to die. Like this narrative will be complete yeah. when Carolina Hearn is dead. Oh, that's so And we, we love yeah. building people up and then watching them crumble. Lindsay yeah. Lohan, great example of yeah. that. Yeah. Um, what do you think about Kim Kardashian? You know, it's totally passed me by i was just talking about this to my son last night it's like because he said so you've had sex once all right we got that let's <laughs> just think it uh said last <laughs> night that he doesn't really ever think anything about Kanye west just doesn't think about Kanye west and i said and i don't think about kim kardashian Good. I, I just don't think about her yeah she's not in my life. people who mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. there's so many people who like will mention like yeah, she's cool. Whatever she took, she's doing her thing. She's a businesswoman. Who uh-huh. cares? Like, let her live. Right. And also, we say it all the time, like, people are the ones that made her so famous. Mm-hmm. But the people who feel the need to, like, she's a horrible example for what Bette Midler's saying. She's a bad role model. And Chloe, all these Hollywood women coming out saying, if you really wanted to be a role model... But no one's writing the book on being a role model. Like it's so <laughs> silly. Let people be. I was like, yeah. I was like, if anything, we should be talking to the people who have Kim Kardashian as a role model, not Kim Kardashian. <laughs> it's like that. Let's go to this. Kim's doing fine. <laughs> yeah, Kim's doing fine. She Kim Kardashian's role model is not Kim Kardashian. No. She's soaring. Yeah. She's doing great. Um, and it was just inclusion. I was thinking about shaming a lot, and I was thinking about like, have we ever? use shame and i realized that we, we did have, oh, we use shame sure no, on this podcast as a very yeah. powerful tool we were the for a long time activists. not allowed on uh itunes because of uh, the material that we were talking about and the, because of the, the podcast is called guys we fucked and so we basically we had our listeners shame itunes into letting us express ourselves and they just kept tweeting uh mm-hmm. itunes and then the head of like human resources called us and yeah it worked yeah. and we got on but were we iTunes. shaming well, them because I've shamed people for sure. Uh-huh. Like I know I have. But were we shaming them or were we saying, "Hey, iTunes, like listen we up"? Were. Yeah. It, we were. We were. The, 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 the fan fine. tweets were definitely shaming. They were. They were saying, "How dare you in 2016 oh, not let people express yeah. themselves?" But like we don't even think of it as shame, really, because it was positive. It had a positive outcome. I think everyone can agree the right decision was made. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. I think the only like, the only way that would have turned into a bad situation is if like a bunch of your fans got hold of the name of some kind of customer service person. Uh, iTunes. Yeah, like put dog poop on his doorstep or something. Yeah, or or called for that person to be fired, you know, for not letting you. And and, and so, like, if that happened, I think that crosses over into bad. But of course, that's not bad at all. I I was at a hospital, a friend of mine's got cystic fibrosis and she couldn't get a bed. And she was like in the lobby at some hospital uptown in in Harlem and they wouldn't give her a bed. And and so she tweeted, she's got like 10,000 Twitter followers because she's like a famous cystic fibrosis person. And she tweeted, (laughs) She's a famous cystic fibrosis person. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I can't go to bed like within about a minute she got a bed what I don't know is whether somebody else was like kicked out of the bed so she could no, I have no idea. I'm Someone with worse cystic fibrosis. Yeah. But like, no, they just literally yeah. didn't have any more beds. <laughs> but of course, in situations like that, it's like, you know, that shows how powerful social media is. And, yeah. and, it, and social media is really fucking powerful. But, you know, I, you know, how can I be against either of those things? You know, of yeah. course I'm not. What would you say would your advice be to someone who's dealing with shame? 
Like, how do you combat it as the person? Because I believe that, like, I, I try and really focus on, like, I if I feel a certain way and someone's making me feel a certain way, I try not to blame them. Mm. I say, well, you shouldn't let it penetrate you like this. And let's figure out ways to work around it so that they could say whatever they want to you and you're okay. You know, well, what anti-bullying people would say like um, is integrate the experience as quickly as possible. And that, I tell you what, that worked for me when, when I was being like attacked over like the Rachel Dolezal thing. I felt so kind of alone, you know, I felt scared and alone. And then I started talking about it and I, and I didn't and I felt fine. So I think that's, you know, in, in many situations, integration experience, talking about it, like owning the experience, which is what you do, right? Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Just be honest about it. Yeah, just but, be honest. That That's, in many situations, that's the Yeah, right hiding and harboring, I think, is just making everything worse. Yeah. 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 So you said you listened to our podcast? You were you listening on the way here? I was, I was listening to Were you blushing? Um, I, I, I can't I, picture you listening. Bit. Yeah, there was, really? this, there was a whole thing about somebody's but being licked and oh, <laughs> shout out to Steven. <laughs> so cute. Oh my well, God. You know, some people like it, you know, and you yeah. just got to talk. About I'm, I'm going to listen on the way back too, And, um, and I, cause I think you, I think you, you you're great. Can we be oh, friends? Thanks. Yeah. Can we, yes. can we get brunch with you? <laughs> yeah. Currently. And you can be like, Monica, you can come too. And I'll be like, hi, Monica. I need a really smart friend. <laughs> yeah. I want a smart friend like you. An John. author. Do you, have an, you don't seem like you have an alcohol problem, but we can yeah, work do you on rage? it. No, have no but we can change that. <laughs> do you do hard drugs? No. Do you, you drink? You so drink. boring. No, I, I mean, have like one. You're not boring. I have one you're Moscow not. mule. I tell you what I'm like. I'm like one of those 1930s clerks in like, <laughs> in like some kind of Eastern European city who just gets it really early and just assiduously works. <laughs> you're in a Wes Anderson movie at the hotel. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's what I have. I mean, I get an early night because I don't. I want to get up. Early Early and work the next morning. I just Aww. work, and I go to the. I work and I go to the gym, and then yeah, I. Yeah, what do you do in your Better free time? Soul. I go Better to the gym soul. and I watch Better Call Saul, oh. and then I go to bed. Gym. Can I ask? Long walks. I have very long. I walked here from the upper oh, west side. Oh really? Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, it's, it's good time to think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And listen to podcasts and mm -hmm. audiobooks. Can I ask you a, a personal question? But if you don't want to answer, you don't have to. Do you watch porn? Uh, it's it's I've I've accidentally typed. <laughs> All right, Dad. This wasn't an accusation. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I typed in a uh, girl getting fucked by, and yeah, <laughs> and I was like, "What? This is crazy." Wait, are you I, married? Yeah. Oh, okay. I thought you. I thought you mentioned that the other day. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm married. Sam, hearts around the. I'm world just interested, just broke. like, curious, like, uh -huh. what an intellectual person, they, like, of pornography, like, because I feel like. Well, I've been thinking a lot about porn lately because I'm actually going to, one yeah. of my big projects coming up is going to be all about porn, I think. I'm going to, I'm doing a big Do you enjoy thing. it or do you, are you like, oh, that's a thing that isn't for yeah, me? Yeah, I've got no problem with porn. <laughs> I well, maybe you can come into, back and talk to us when that project's finished yeah. about porn. You know what, I, I would, would love, love to. to. I'm, gonna, I'm basically going to spend all year... Um, in in the porn world, yeah. yes, I've got this big. Por I don't want to say. Have gone to conventions yet? Because uh, Stephen, uh, when he, he used to date, when he dated Stoya, he would go in the conventions. He would say, he would be like holding her hand, and he would talk about how people just be like, "Can I give you thirty thousand dollars to fuck you?" And Stephen's like, "Hi, I'm right here." Wow. Oh uh, yeah, I know that that happens. How about any <laughs> conventions? Oh, I went to the. I want to go to uh, one so bad. I went to the Xbiz Awards. Yeah, in Jersey. Is that in Jersey? Oh yeah, no, I didn't go to. I went. To, oh shit, I get them confused. Um, I didn't go to the Xbiz Awards. I went to the other big awards. What's the other big? Oh, the, the uh, Avid. No, um, Avian. Oh, Avian. The AVN, yeah, yeah, I went to the AVN yeah, Awards. Um, and uh, I nearly went to the convention in Jersey, but I 
didn't. I was going to go with Sydney Leathers, in fact, and Ooh. and um, but she was busy. Maybe you can go uh, with Chris, Corinne Fisher and Christina, and Christina Hutchinson. Hutchinson. Yeah, That's so a do you go to one of those? Do you go to those places? I know, but I want to. I'm yes. sure they'd let us in. I just want to go around with a mic and be like, "What's your deal?" Yeah, that's. I was going to ask if they have musical performances at the Avian Awards because I was really curious. Or do people just fuck in between the announcements? You know, some people. one porn star has released a pop song, a la Paris Hilton. <laughs> you know, it's happened. Uh, we'll we'll get life, to the bottom life, of it. Well, life. Tracy Lords actually had a singing career because Stephen found that song. Oh yeah. So yeah, it did. Cool. Perfect. Yeah, but I'm I'm doing a specific story. It's not just a sort of general look okay. at porn. I'm doing like a, I'm following a very specific story. Oh, but cool. I'm not going to say what it is. Oh, I'm excited. I'm less, but I've got like a very specific story that I'm, I'm I want to tell like all year I'm going to spend Ooh, all year in the, the cinematographer oh that's yes great. and I'm really excited about it actually I think it's going to be a great are you project. aroused uh, do you get aroused when you're on porn sets oh you know what you I, no you know what I don't <laughs> um, really yeah I, um uh actually I um I keep quite early hours like I like to go to bed about 10 and mm. get up about 6 and like when I was at like the Princess you. Donna porn show I was just thinking it got to like 1 in the morning and this was in LA so I was like so at 4 I was, I was just thinking please ejaculate so I can go to, <laughs> so I can go to sleep <laughs> and then I thought god I, you know, I'm like a thousand if I had a nickel for every time me. I thought that I know <laughs> just please ejaculate so I can go to sleep please that's, a, well, that's, that's what it's like to be a woman you experience right. like one minute of what yeah, it's like yeah that was so exactly. beautiful that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, no, it's funny. I didn't. I wish I could say that I found it arousing to be at that porn shoot, but I really didn't. I've not been. A, a, I've not. It didn't happen. I think it, it's been a strip long. club. Um, I can't picture you in a strip club, but I want to picture you in a strip club. Uh, yeah, I went to a strip club in Pensacola. Nice. Uh, yeah. And Hell I, yeah. And I went to one in London as well. Um, yeah, both. Actually, one was for work. London was for work. And Pensacola, we were filming. This is like 20 years ago. Have we, you ever oh. gone just for fun anywhere? Yeah. Well, I suppose, I suppose the Pensacola one Applebee's would probably one time. As, he probably was like, He was fun. like, no, I was doing a piece on the cook at Applebee's oh, and that's oh, why I was there. I'll tell you where I went for fun. <laughs> yes. Well, um, oh, please. Yeah, it was probably right around here somewhere. There used to be this club in New York. I mean, it's again going like 15, 20 years. There was this club called the Blue Angel, which was like this kind of hipster, feminist Ooh. strip Ooh. club. Okay. <laughs> Angel, yeah, oh. and it got and it got shut down. Like maybe, yeah. and I was it was great. Yeah, I went. Yeah, and you had fun, and there was no you didn't have a pen or you no, didn't write no, anything I down. Just, I just went there out of curiosity. That's, that's and, it. I'm proud awesome. of you. Yeah, me too. You go, the Blue Angel. <laughs> I wonder what happened to it. It was great. Maybe people, if it's like sex history, people hate sluts, man. It's so annoying. Right. <laughs> And on that note, uh, thank you so much for sitting down with us today. Hey, um, it was such so fun. You buy your book. Yeah. Buy, everybody buy it. It's fucking fascinating. It's called I, So You've Been Publicly Shamed. It's just uh, recently out on in paperback. Mm-hmm. You know, There's a new chapter. There's a new chapter I'm where I talk excited. about bad things that happened to me after the book came out. Oh, the yeah. shame. The, the uh, shame. The, the shamed, shamed writer, writer gets yeah. shamed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> and where can we follow you on Twitter if you decide to ever log <clears throat> in again? Where can we uh, throw insults at you? Uh, at John Ronson with no H J O N R O N S O N, and I'm on Instagram as well, where everybody's nice to each other. If they are nice, yeah. as long as too nice. Well, I mean, yeah, as long as you don't have, like show your body because you're a man. So oh yes. Nice. Oh, you you have clothes, so you're good. Do you have a yeah. butt blog? Uh, butt blog. <laughs> Aww, you're the best. <laughs> Thank you so much to John Ronson. This has been guys. We fucked the anti-slut shaming podcast. We'll talk to you next week. We give away what's locked inside a cage of bones. 